Listen, several weeks ago, I was at Starbucks working one afternoon, and I was actually writing a message for Wednesday night, and as I was sitting there writing my message, I was doing a little bit of people watching, all right? How many of you actually like to people watch? It's very underrated because it's honestly one of the most interesting things. And so as I'm sitting there drinking my chai tea latte and writing my Wednesday night message, don't hate, don't hate. As I'm sitting there writing my Wednesday night message, I start to pick up on a conversation that's actually going on at the table right next to me. And I'm not totally sure the relationship of the two people who were talking, but I can assume it was most likely a mom and her daughter. And at first, they were just having some, some random conversations, nothing that, that seemed too important. But as I'm eavesdropping, I know, I, I don't have shame, honestly. I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel bad. As I'm eavesdropping, the tone of the conversation begins to change a little bit. And I could sense that they were getting ready to start talking about something serious. And as I was sitting there listening, I, I heard this daughter begin to share with her mom about some of the, the difficulties that, that she was having at school. There was another girl in her class who was making fun of her, who was being rude to her. And so she was confiding in her mom and trying to figure out what was the best solution to, to handle this situation with the other girl in her class. And I'll never forget, the, as the daughter and the mom are, are talking through these solutions, the, the mom ended the conversation by saying this. She said, you know, it really doesn't matter how you handle this situation as long as at the end of the day, you're happy. As long as at the end of the day, you're happy. Tonight, we are in the final part of our teaching series called Jesus Never Said That. And we've been looking at several statements that Jesus never made, but are often believed to be true. Now, if you haven't been here over the past few weeks, I really want to challenge you to go back and to listen to our podcast. We upload all of our messages each week because I believe that you'll find some of the things that we've talked about over the past few weeks really helpful. But tonight, we're going to talk about what I think is one of the most common misconceptions. One of the most common misconceptions. And that is the misconception of do what makes you happy. Do what makes you happy. How many of you have ever heard that phrase used before? You know, if I were to, to take a poll in the room, if I were to ask you to, to raise your hand, and I asked you this question, who wants to be happy? Raise your hand if you want to be happy. Everybody's hand in this room should be raised. Yeah, of course, there's always those of you that want to be difficult. There's always those of you that want to be different. Listen, every single one of us in this room want to be happy. It's honestly a, a dumb question because I can't think of anyone who would say that their goal in life, like their primary thing in life is to, to be miserable. Like nobody ever says that. We all want to be happy. And because we want to be happy, we tend to think that we need to do things to make us happy. We need to do things in order to achieve that happiness. And those things, they look different for, for every one of us. For instance, some of us find happiness in, in material things. Some of us find happiness in having the, the newest iPhone or the newest Jordans. Girls, some of us find happiness 
and having a closet full of clothes that cost a lot of money. And a Stanley Cup. There you go. Some of us find end of the nine weeks in success. Like when our report card comes home at the end of the nine weeks and there's straight A's, we're pretty happy. We're feeling good about ourselves. Some of us find happiness in getting that college scholarship or getting accepted into that university that we had dreamed of, of going to. Some of us find happiness from being the best on the team. Eighth grade boys, I'm looking back there at you. Some of us find happiness from absolutely dominating everyone else on the team and being the best player. Some of you, you find happiness in your relationships. There are those of you in this room, and I'm not going to name names, who always have to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You know exactly who you are, too. There's some of you who find happiness in being the most popular at school. You want to be well-known and well-liked by, by people around you. Listen, there's even some of you who find happiness in what other people think about you. You need positive affirmation, people to, to compliment you and congratulate you in order to be happy. But listen, regardless of, of where you try to find your happiness, the desire to be happy, the desire to be happy is rooted in the need to be satisfied and fulfilled. It's rooted in the need to be satisfied and filled, meaning we all want to have a purpose. We all want our lives to, to mean something and to have value. And so we pursue the things that will make us happy, the things that will satisfy us and fulfill us. But here's what so often happens. Here's what so often happens. When our happiness becomes the top priority in our life, when it becomes the thing that, that we care about most, we no longer exist to serve God God exists to serve us. When our happiness, when our priority is happiness, is fulfillment, we no longer exist to serve God. He exists to serve us. We have chosen to live a life for ourselves, fulfilling our desires and what we think is best rather than living a life that honors God. And listen, this is really easy to do. In fact, we live in a culture that promotes this idea of being happy. All you have to do is turn on your favorite TV show or open up social media, and most likely the thing that you are going to see most is this idea of do what makes you happy. But Jesus actually says the exact opposite. Jesus actually says the exact opposite. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says this. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. You see, whoever wants to, to follow Jesus, whoever wants to, to live a life that, that glorifies and honors God, first needs to deny themselves 
But what does that mean? Like, what does that mean for, for us to, to deny ourselves? To deny yourself means to die to your selfish ambitions and desires. To put aside what makes you happy. To put aside the things that, that you think is best. And listen, this isn't just something that, that we do once and, and are done with. It's something that we should do every single day. And that truth that we see Jesus communicate to, to his disciples in Luke chapter 9 should lead each and every one of us to, to ask ourselves this question. And it's going to be on the screen behind me. Are you going to live for yourself or are you going to live your life for Jesus? You can either be focused on what makes you happy, your priorities, your goals, your desires, or you can be focused on what God wants to do in and through you. But here's the thing, you can't do both. And if your decision is, is to live for yourself, to do what, what you want to do, to do what makes you happy, then you don't really need my help. I don't need to, to teach you how to do that. We all know how to do that already. But if you want to live a life where God is the focus, where God is the priority, then we need to know how to, to do that and what it looks like. So I want us to, to spend tonight talking through this idea of what it looks like to live a life that honors and, and glorifies God. What does it look like to, to live a, a godly life? We're going to be in, in 2 Peter chapter 1. And in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 1, it says this. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. You see, God, through his power, has given us everything that we need in order to live a, a godly life. No matter who you are, no matter how you've been raised, no matter what you've done, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you consider yourself to, to be a follower of Jesus, then you have everything that you need to live for him. You are not lacking anything. You have all of the necessary tools and, and resources. And this ability to, to live for him, it comes through our knowledge of him. You see, knowing God is the starting point to living a godly life. Knowing God is a starting point to living a life that glorifies and honors him. But, but what does it mean to, to know God? Like what is Peter actually saying here? You see, knowing God is more than just intellectual knowledge. It's more than just an awareness of his existence. It's more than just understanding certain Bible facts about him. To know God is to be in a relationship with him. It's to, to know him in a very real and personal way. Here, here's an example of this. I have known about Josh since I was in seventh grade. 
I've known about Josh since I was in middle school. I knew what his last name was. I knew who his parents were. I knew who he was friends with. I knew a lot of information about him. But it wasn't until college when we began dating that I actually began to know him personally. I met his parents for the first time. I spent time with his friends. I got to know who he was, his likes, his dislikes, his personality, his character, who he was at his core. You see, we can know that the creator of the universe in a very personal way. We can know God through his creation, his qualities and attributes. We can know God through his Holy Spirit, how he speaks and how he guides. We can know God through his word, which was given to us and shows us the story of redemption. You see, God is not hiding himself from us. He has made himself very easy to know. And through knowing God, we have everything that we need to live a life for him. Look at what it says in, in verse 4. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You see, God hasn't just only given us everything that we need in order to, to live a godly life. God has also given us his great and precious promises. Promises like the gift of eternal life. Promises that Jesus is coming back. Promises that, that God is with us. Promises that we are a brand new creation. And listen, these promises are different from the promises that you and I make to each other. When we make a promise with someone, we often have the, the best of intentions. Like many of us tend to, to think that we're going to, to keep our promise. But so often what happens? We change our mind. Something happens that's outside of our control. Our promise falls through. Our promises to one another aren't guaranteed or certain. But you see, God's promises, they don't, off, they don't operate like that. God doesn't break his, his promises. They are guaranteed because they are based on his glory and on his goodness. And listen, because of these promises, Scripture tells us that we can, can participate. We can share in Jesus' divine nature. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Now if we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his joy. You see, because we are a, a new creation, because we have a, a new identity, we are now children of God and co-heirs with Christ. Which means that we get to share in his blessings and in his glory. We get all of the, the same benefits as Christ. We participate in his divine nature. But you see, knowing Christ, knowing God, isn't just about receiving benefits. It's not just about claiming God's promises for ourselves. Knowing God should change how we live our lives on a daily basis. 
It should change our actions. It should change our thoughts. It should change our desires. It should change our focus and our priorities. Continuing on in in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. You see here, Peter begins to to make a little bit of a shift, and he begins to, to share what a godly life looks like. And he actually provides us with a list of of characteristics. And he says that we are to make every effort to to add these characteristics to our faith. Meaning your faith should be producing these qualities. Your faith should be resulting in growth. He says make every effort to to add to your faith goodness. What is goodness? Goodness is, is strong moral character. It's the same word used in in verse 3 to talk about Christ's goodness. Our faith should be producing the the character of Christ in our lives. We should be be moving forward in the process of becoming more and more like him. But not only that, we're to add to our goodness knowledge. This isn't just knowing random facts about God or or having more Bible knowledge or being able to, to navigate your Bible quickly. This is practical knowledge that impacts how we live. It's the ability to discern between right and wrong. It's the ability to tell the difference between truth and lies. It's the wisdom to know what is good and beneficial for us. But you see, greater knowledge then produces self-control in our lives. What is self-control? Self-control is the ability to to be disciplined, where you begin to to master your flesh and desires. You begin to learn how to to take every thought captive. You begin to learn how to fight temptation. You fight against your flesh and and you die to yourself. You aren't controlled by by your sinful nature. Self-control then produces perseverance. The ability to to run the race of faith with with endurance. To be patient in the midst of of suffering. To not quit when life gets hard and and things are difficult. But to press on until the end. And listen, as Peter wraps up this list, as he's walking through these characteristics, he then begins to, to focus them outward. He says, listen, our faith, it shouldn't just produce knowledge It shouldn't just produce self-control and and perseverance. It should also change the way we treat people. Godliness impacts our relationships with others. And he highlights two specific qualities. Mutual affection and love. Mutual affection is simply put, genuine friendship. It's concern and care for others. Meaning that you're invested in them. You are invested in in their well-being. You're invested in in their life. And love, we all know what that is. It's the willingness to sacrifice for other people. To put the the needs of others above the needs of, of ourselves. You see, love is the ultimate expression of our Christian belief. But he doesn't just stop there. Look at what Peter says in, in verse 8. 
For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that the goal of our Christian life, it isn't just greater knowledge about God. The goal is to begin to, to possess these qualities that Peter talks about here in increasing measure. Meaning that you should be growing in them. You should be making progress every day in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And listen, this isn't about performance. It's not about doing the right thing 100% of the time. It's about your direction. And we should be taking steps forward every day to grow in our relationship with Jesus. And this growth is extremely important. Why? Because if we're not growing, we are ineffective and unproductive in our faith. When we stop growing, when we stop making progress in our faith, we become ineffective and unproductive for Jesus and for his kingdom. You see, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you consider yourself to, to be a Christian, listen, this is the devil's ultimate strategy against you. He cannot take away your faith. He cannot take away your, your salvation. But he will try everything he possibly can to knock you out of the game. He will try everything he can to, to sideline you so that you're not growing and so that you're not making a difference for the kingdom of Jesus. And so I just want you to, to, to ask yourself, as you look back over this past year, were you growing? Were you taking steps forward in, in your relationship with Jesus? Or did you stall out and stop growing? Did you become ineffective and unproductive for Jesus? Did the enemy succeed in knocking you out of the game? Verse 9. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. You see, those who, who aren't growing, those of us who have stalled out in our faith, Peter says that they have become nearsighted and blind. Meaning they can't see what's right in front of them. They've lost sight of the big picture. They've lost sight of what Jesus did for them on the cross. And they're living for themselves rather than for eternity. They're missing what, what God is doing all around them. Because they've forgotten what Jesus has done for them. They've forgotten the, the price that, that Jesus paid for their sin. They've forgotten the, the love and the grace that Jesus has shown them. And they've begun to, to take it for granted. It's no longer making an impact in their life. And if I can just be real for a minute, this is especially easy for those of us who have grown up in church. This is especially easy for us who have been around Jesus our entire lives. Because it's something that, that we've heard all the time. It's easy to, to forget. Our familiarity with Jesus 
can unfortunately create complacency in our faith. It can create complacency to where we've stopped growing. We've stalled out. Verse 10. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to, to make every effort to confirm our calling. We need to make every effort to, to live out our faith, to, to prove that it's real. Not because we will lose it, but because we won't naturally drift towards Jesus. You see, when we stop pursuing him, we begin to, to drift away from him. We have to continue to, to put in work. We have to continue to, to push forward in our faith. And listen, I recognize that this isn't easy. In fact, it's not our, our natural lean. It's not our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is to live a life for ourselves, to pursue our desires and our priorities and, and our goals. But listen, Jesus, he didn't call us to, to do what makes us happy. He called us to live a life that brings glory and honor to God, to live a life pursuing wholeheartedly after God. So as we close tonight, I really want you to, to begin to ask yourself that question. Are you living a life for yourself? Or are you living a life pursuing after God? You know, as we head into to the summer, it's my hope that you will take these next few months of, of being off of school, of not having as many priorities and responsibilities to really begin to evaluate where you're at in your faith. And as we close tonight, I just wanna give you three really practical things, three really simple things that you can do to begin to make your faith a priority this summer. The first one is this, get connected to a life group on Sunday morning. Get connected to a life group on Sunday morning. There's a lot of you in here, you are here every Wednesday, you are here every Sunday and you are, are connected. But for those of you who only come on, on Wednesday nights, for the next few months, you are not gonna have our Wednesday night service. You're not gonna be connected and plugged into a community of believers, to a community of people who believe the same things as you, people who can challenge you and who can encourage you to grow. And so now more than ever is the perfect time for you to get connected on Sunday mornings. We meet every week at 9.30 over in the student building. Our small groups are led by many of the same small group leaders that you have here on Wednesday night. But whatever your hesitation might be, whatever your concern might be, I wanna challenge you to get plugged in this summer. Get plugged in with a group of people who believe the same things you do who can challenge you to grow and who can hold you accountable in your faith. The second thing is this, sign up for camp. But here's the thing, I don't want you to just sign up for camp, I want you to show up prepared. 
I think many of us look at a camp as this big reset time. In those weeks and months leading up to camp, many of us, if we're honest, we're just kind of coasting in our faith. We're kind of doing the, the bare minimum to, to get by. School's just ended, we've had a lot going on, we don't have a ton of time, and we think of camp as this amazing week where we can kind of reset and then we'll start moving forward. Then we'll start growing. But I want you to consider what would happen this year in your life if you showed up to camp and you were already in a place where you were growing in your relationship with Jesus. Think about how camp would continue to move you forward in that growth. Think about how camp would encourage you and, and challenge you, not just to be a, a reset where you finally feel like, okay, yeah, now I gotta get my life right, but that camp would already carry the momentum that you've been building because you've been growing in your faith. The third thing that I wanna challenge you with this summer, and listen, this is as practical as, as it gets, is to develop some time in God's word, to make spending time in God's word a, a priority. For some of you, I, I know that you already have a solid quiet time. You've got it figured out. But then there are some of you that, that are really struggling to, to spend time in God's word each day. Listen, I get it. I'm not judging, okay? Because I know how difficult it is, especially when you have a lot going on. But this summer, you're not gonna have school. You're not gonna have homework. Some of you aren't gonna have as many activities going on. You're gonna have a little bit more free time. So now more than ever, this would be the, the prime opportunity to begin to develop a consistent quiet time. To begin to, to develop that habit of spending time in God's word so that when you go back to school in four months, that's already become a routine. It's already become second nature to you. And listen, for those of you that, that struggle, you don't know where to start. Maybe you're in here and you're like, I don't even have a Bible. I don't know where to begin. Let me know. If you don't have a Bible and you're here tonight, let me know, because I will, I will make that happen for you. If you have questions about where to start or what's the best Bible reading plan, ask one of us, ask one of your leaders. We would love to begin to, to help you make spending time in God's word a priority because without it, you're gonna stall and you're not gonna be able to continue to, to move forward in your faith. Listen, Jesus never called us to do what makes us happy. He called us to live a life that brings glory and honor to Jesus. And so as we transition into to, to summer, I wanna challenge you to make your faith a priority, to use these next four months to continue to, to move forward in your faith, whatever that looks like. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us everything that we absolutely need to grow in our relationship with you. God, you have revealed yourself to us in, in so many different ways and you desire a very close and personal relationship with each one of us. 
But God, so often we get caught up in this lie that our culture tells us that we have to do what makes us happy. That we have to prioritize our plans and our desires and our priorities and and our goals. And we become so self-centered and so focused on making ourselves happy that we lose sight of what it really means to live a life that that brings glory and, and honor to you. And so God, I pray tonight that in those areas where we have fallen short, I pray that that you would convict us, that you would bring to light those areas that we're struggling to, to make you a priority, those areas that we're pursuing happiness over you. And God, I pray that as we move into these summer months, that our faith, that our relationship with you would be the number one priority in our life. God, that we would want nothing more than to live a life that brings glory and honor to you. It's in your name that we ask all of these things.